please be seated. Would you take just a moment and pray that God would speak his word into the recesses of your heart and that whatever defenses we may naturally put up against them, that, that by his spirit he would soften us so that we would simply receive his word as it corrects us and rebukes us and trains us in righteousness. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we know that we are, as humans, as image bearers, we are body and soul. Uh, none of us neglect to feed our bodies but oftentimes we are neglectful of our souls. We know that the Lord Jesus was right when he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so I pray that you would give us hunger right now so that we could be like the psalmist who says that your word is sweeter. It's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. God, uh, give us a longing to know you to feast upon you even now as your word is preached. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening and we are hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take out your copy of God's word and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. If you're using the Bible, the, uh, the church's Bible that's in your row, it's on page 1003. If you do not have a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible that you find to be particularly readable, we think this version, this translation of the Bible is very readable, and you are more than welcome to take that one home. We would be absolutely delighted for you to get use of, out of that Bible uh, all throughout the week. We are in a, uh, uh, an exposition, a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Hebrews. We've been here for several months. We'll likely be here for at least another year or so. We come to the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. And if you remember, we've been looking at this, this extended discourse on Jesus as the great high priest. Uh, we saw that last week, that Jesus is a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It, it's really been, this study of Jesus as the great high priest has been really great stuff. If you've been paying attention. Now, you have been paying attention, right? You have been listening, right? Actually, the author stops here. He's been in that extended discourse. He's going to pick it up soon, but he stops here in our text today, and he says, you are paying attention, aren't you? You are listening, aren't you? Because some of you, it, it seems that you're not paying attention, and so listen up. That's what he's going to say to us today. Listen to God's word, Hebrews 5 starting at verse 11. About this, we have so much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, Several years ago, when we moved into the current home that we're living in, we noticed our backyard, which had been freshly sodded and looked really good when we moved in, about three months afterwards, it was starting to turn brown. And it was getting towards fall, and the weather was cooling off, so I thought maybe it's just going dormant. But then it started looking worse and worse. And I don't know anything about grass, so I asked somebody to come look at it, and he showed me the problem. Just beneath the surface, about an inch underneath the surface, there were these little worms. And these worms were traveling under the soil, and they were eating the roots of the grass. And they were causing it to turn brown. And he said, there's good news and there's bad news. Yes, you've got a problem. And the bad news is, if you don't do something about that problem, your yard could die. But the good news is, it's still treatable. It's not too late. This scene here in Hebrews is really about the exact same thing. He's been talking about the priesthood of Christ, and undoubtedly, that's a weighty issue. That's something you're probably not going to talk about in the checkout line at the grocery store. It's it's a deep theological issue. And he stops and he says, listen, there's a serious problem. You've been believers for a while now, but you're not growing. You're here, you're bodily present as the church meets every Sunday, but you don't seem to be maturing in Christ. You haven't grown in your understanding of doctrine, and your life isn't growing in holiness, he's saying. You're the same as when you professed faith. You should be eating meat by now, but you're still drinking milk. That's the problem. And then, as, as just like my friend looking at my yard said, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is, This spiritual dormancy may be indicative of a very serious heart problem. And so he's giving a warning. But he doesn't leave them with that warning. And in the first three verses of chapter 6, he gives them a word of hopeful encouragement that they may not fall away. And so those are the three things we're going to look at. The problem, the warning, and the encouragement. So let's look first at, at the serious problem. You know, it's, it's this, the yard and illustration in my mind just works so well because our yard had been watered, it had been fertilized, it had everything it needed for growth. There was plenty of sunlight, but it simply wasn't growing. And as this pastor, and we, we, we've argued, I've made the argument week after week that Hebrews is written from a pastor to his congregation. It may even be a transcription of a sermon that he's preached to them. He's looking out at his congregation and he's saying, there's a problem. And the problem is you don't appear to be growing. Now, he's not talking about in number. He's talking about spiritual maturity. And he says, for some reason... You're still infants. 
You're still toddlers in the faith. And so that's why he stopped this discourse. And he's saying, are you paying attention? Not just to this letter, but are you paying attention in the Christian life? Because if you're paying attention in the Christian life, if you're, if you're diligent about studying the Word and prayer, if you're diligent about fellowship and the sacraments and so on, then you should be maturing. But you're not. And so he's saying to them, that's the problem. It's time to grow up. And the author shows them a few proofs that they're stuck in this sort of perpetual toddlerhood. Look with me at these. First, he says there in verse 11, you don't listen. Now, that's a great way to describe a toddler, isn't it? They don't naturally listen. They have to to be taught to listen. But that should never be how we describe a Christian. Uh, Christians ought to have ears tuned to the voice of our Good Shepherd as he speaks to us in his word. And you can imagine how this burdens this pastor. He's saying, I've got this incredible theological truth of the priesthood of Christ. But you guys can't handle it. I've got these wonderful things that I long to tell you. But you know, I'm guessing, and I've gotten this before, and you've heard people say this before too, but I'm guessing he would preach this stuff, and then he'd hear something like this. You know, pastor, don't give me all this theology. Just give me Jesus. You know what happens when the Jesus that we want is not the Jesus shaped by the theology of Scripture? It's going to be shaped by the theology of our own natural deceptive heart. You and I need the Scriptures so that we know the Jesus of the Scriptures. And so this pastor is burdened. And in verse 11, he says, you've become dull of hearing. Now, he is not talking about a physical malady that is keeping them from hearing. The word for dull there is really translated lazy. In fact, if you were to look at Hebrews 6, verse 12, it's translated sluggish. uh, He's saying to them, you're lazy listeners. You don't want to think. I heard the story several years ago of a very famous preacher. He preached a very intellectually rigorous sermon. It was the kind that makes you think. That's a good thing, right? We don't like to think, but God gave us our brains, and we ought to think with them, and we have no higher thing to think of than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he preached a rigorous sermon, and after the sermon, a woman greeted him at the door, and she said, Pastor, that was good, but you made me think so much, I have blisters on my brain. And he simply responded to her, I don't do yard work often, but when I do, I get blisters on my hand. Yeah, you get what he's saying. You're not used to thinking, are you, ma'am? I'm not sure if she came back to the church. She may have walked out. He's saying to them here, your lack of growth, your perpetual toddlerhood is not because the subject is too hard, but because you've become lazy listeners. You're not studying these things. You're not students of the Word of God. Sure, you show up. Sure, you're present as the Word is preached, but your minds and hearts can be somewhere else altogether. I listen to a lot of sermons. I love to listen to sermons. All of us would have different definitions of what makes a good sermon, but but we'd all agree that good sermons are easy to listen to. But what about those sermons that are not easy to listen to? 
Are we off the hook from those? The commentator Matthew Henry, if you're ever looking for really the best full Bible commentary that you can get, I think it's probably Matthew Henry's commentary, but Matthew Henry says dull listeners make it difficult to be a good preacher. Now, we would think of it the other way around. You know, bad preachers are what make dull listeners. But he's actually saying dull listeners make it difficult to be a good preacher. That's the point that, that the author of Hebrews is making here. I want to tell you these amazing things about the priesthood of Christ, but you are so sluggish in your listening that you, you can't handle it. Now, just by way of an early application, we ought to think about how we listen to sermons. Because here's what most of us do, sort of subconsciously. We listen, and then we grade the pastor. Was it long enough without crossing the line into a hostage situation? Was it funny enough without being silly? Uh, Did it step on my toes without hurting my feelings? You know, God will, God, that's God's territory to deal with. During the sermon, you're not responsible so much for what is said, but how you listen, what you do with it. And so the question that you and I ought to ask ourselves after we listen to a sermon is not so much how the pastor do, but was I a good listener? Was I attentive to the word or did I have dull hearing? And that duty of listening doesn't stop at the benediction. It continues all week as you make application of the sermon, as you make application of what you've read in the scriptures that week. And if you're not doing that, then you've become dull of hearing. So that's the first evidence of a big problem. You don't listen. Second evidence, your constant takers rather than investors. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you show up, you get taught, but you know, what are you doing with it? You should be teachers by now, but you're not. You, you forget it. It has no bearing on your daily life, and you come back the next week, and you need, you need those basics again because you haven't thought about it again since last week. You know, that's a, a pretty good picture of toddlers, isn't it? Toddlers are good takers. They take food. They take drink. They take time. They're not great investors, are they? They're not very good at giving back, and so not a lot of toddlers are good at washing clothes or cleaning the house. And that's not a criticism of toddlers. That's just where they are developmentally. But it does become a problem when they're they're 17 years old and they're not doing those things. Or when they're 35 years old and still living at home and not doing those things. That's when it becomes a real problem. We've got that in our culture today. They call it failure to launch. And it's people that are stuck in a perpetual childhood. And he's saying here, you know, it's really time for you to stop being such a taker and start investing by teaching the gospel to others. Now, when it talks about teaching, I don't think it's necessarily talking about formal teaching. Certainly for some it is. But I think it's more interpersonal teaching as we lead others to an understanding and application of the gospel. 
You know, if you're a Christian, and you've been a Christian for more than, we'll say 10 minutes, you should be thinking about how to disciple others. And every time you leave the walls of this church, you ought to be thinking about how you carry the gospel to others. It seems like this fo- that this church, the Church of the Hebrews, has failed to realize something really important. And I wonder if we get it, First Scots. They don't seem to realize that the entire church is responsible for learning and teaching and defending the doctrines of the faith. It's not just the pastor's duty. It's not just for the paid professionals. The whole church is to do the work of the whole church. And so as you get equipped, you then ought to be going out as teachers, proclaiming the gospel, discipling others, showing others how to walk with Christ. And he says, you should be teachers by now, but you're not doing any of that. Every week you just come back and you get the same basic truths, but they have no bearing on your lives. And that's a problem. You're takers, but you're not investors. Then there's a third evidence of a problem. We see it in the latter part of verse 12. He says, you need milk, not solid food. See, they're untrained in the word. And he goes on, verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. It's interesting, we're not told how long these people have been believers. Maybe they've only been believers for two years. Maybe they've been believers for 15 years. We don't know. And oftentimes when the Holy Spirit leaves something open-ended like that, it's so that we can apply it to our own lives. So we have folks in this room that have probably only been believers a couple years. It's very easy in that case to say, you know what, I'm behind the eight ball. I have so much to learn. Or to say, you know, I didn't grow up going to Sunday school. I didn't grow up learning all these things, and I just feel so behind. And we make excuses for ourselves. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There ought to be a progression towards maturity, towards eating meat, not not just drinking milk. They should be feasting on God's Word by now, but they're not. I I want you to imagine, and, and this is, it would be a funny scene if it wasn't so sad, but imagine a visitor comes to this church, and you have a beautiful building, and you've got really beautiful people, and they walk in, and right at the call to worship, dignified gentleman reaches into his pocket and pulls out a sippy cup. And then lady next to him, she pulls out hers too. And next thing you know, the whole room is, is sipping on, on milk. That's what he's saying happens in the life of the church. You know, you should be mature by now. You should be growing in Christ. But what's happened is you've become overgrown babies. And he's saying to them, I'd love to explain to you all this great stuff, but you'll get choked on it. You don't know how to eat solid food yet. The implication here is that they're biblically illiterate. You know, we need to realize this. If they were guilty of biblical illiteracy, we are in far more danger than they. You see, they didn't even have copies of the scriptures most of the time. If they had copies of the Old Testament, that would have been very rare, and a lot of the New Testament hadn't yet been written. You and I have access to so much more than they did, 
But the sad reality is that even now, as the Bible is more available than it has ever been, Christians have never historically been at a point as low as we are now in terms of biblical literacy. And so they're, they're untrained in the Word. And then fourth, they're undiscerning. You know, when you don't pay attention, uh, when you don't listen, when you don't invest, when you don't get trained in the Word, then you don't have biblical discernment. Biblical discernment is the ability to, to know right from wrong. And what's hard about that is that in the Christian life, rarely is it black and white. Rarely is it right, wrong. It's typically right and almost right. So you can go home this afternoon and you can turn on your TV and you can see television preachers who will use all sorts of Christian lingo. And if you have even one ounce of discernment, it'll take you about one minute to realize that what they are teaching is not biblical. You know the problem? The problem is millions and millions and millions of people are listening to that drivel right now and they do not have the discernment to know that it's wrong. That's what happens when you're biblically illiterate. The same is true with the the top 10 supposedly Christian books list. It's a bunch of self-help stuff. But you're not going to find books about sanctification. You're not going to find books about propitiation. You're not going to find the meat of the word. And so it perpetuates a cycle of having no biblical literacy and no discernment. Do you know what happens when you stay spiritually immature? You stay extremely vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Just think for a second about animals out in the wild. You have predators and you have prey. What do predators tend to look for when they see a group of animals? They look for the babies because they're the easiest to pick off. They look for the immature and they pounce upon them. Beloved, if we are not growing to maturity in Christ, then we are extremely vulnerable. We're vulnerable to false teaching and we're vulnerable to bad living. Those things always are a risk for us when we lack discernment. How do we grow in discernment? Look with me at Romans 12 for a moment. We grow in discernment by paying attention to the Scriptures. Romans 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are our minds renewed? Through the Word. So that by testing, you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's saying there, you're either being conformed to the patterns of this world and reverting back to toddlerhood, or you are being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, You might be thinking, I don't know if I like this pastor a whole lot. You know, what kind of pastor looks at his people and says, you're a big bunch of babies, and you're lazy, and you're spiritually illiterate? 
You know what kind of pastor he is? He's the kind that really loves his flock. And that's the kind of pastor that he is. He loves them enough to tell them the truth. He's not berating them, and he is not just venting frustration at them. He's saying to them, wake up, because spiritual immaturity is dangerous, and beloved, it may be a sign of a greater problem. You know, to go back to the grass illustration, is it dormant or is it dead? And he's looking out on his congregation, and he's saying, you know, some of you, I'm not sure if you're believers or not. You have all the outward trappings, but I'm not sure you've truly come to saving faith. And so that's the second thing we see here. This, this loving pastor gives them a gracious warning. Here's what he's saying to them. The danger of being a perpetual toddler Christian is that you might not actually be a Christian at all. That's the concern that's on, our, on the pastor's heart. It's what we call apostasy. Apostasy literally means stepping away or moving away. What is apostasy? Apostasy is an unbeliever, but it's not the ordinary run-of-the-mill unbeliever who says, no, I don't believe these things. It's somebody who once had all the outward appearances of a believer, but was never truly born again. It's not just a struggling Christian who's making slow progress, but progress nonetheless. This is the person who's not growing at all, even though they, they can talk the talk. That's the apostate. The apostate is someone who has professed to be a believer, who's been part of the visible church, who participate or has participated in the community of faith, but has never come to know the Lord Jesus. Well, wait a minute, Mr. Hebrews. You're saying we might not be Christians? Just think of all we've done. We left Judaism. We left the temple. Think about all we've done. How dare you say to us we may not be Christians? It's not just the teaching of Hebrews. Look with me at the words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, he's speaking of the day of judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Jesus is saying there's people who talk the talk, who outwardly appear to be Christians, but have never come to saving faith. Now, it's not that they lost their salvation. We're going to look at this more next week. It's that they never were saved at all. They just went through the outward motions but had never inwardly been transformed. And that's that the heart of this warning is your spiritual immaturity, your spiritual stagnancy 
may be a sign of coming apostasy. You know, apostasy is a very dangerous thing, not just for the apostate person, but for the whole church. It's, it's, it's like leaven. It affects, it affects the whole lump. We need to realize that. That's how churches die. That's how churches go lukewarm. It's not the isms out there. It's not feminism. It's not liberalism. It's not transgenderism that's out there. It's apostasy and lukewarmness in here. The greatest danger for the health of the church is not out there, but right here. That our hearts would remain cold to Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's where the church in America is today. It is marked by complacency. The battle cry of the American church is, meh, meh. You hear the truths. Nah. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the whole lump becomes apostate. Now, at this point, if you have any spiritual sensitivity, you may be thinking, well, what does this mean about me? Because sometimes my ears can be dull and my heart can be complacent well there's something very encouraging about the fact that he's bringing this to their attention you see if if this were the end of the story then he would pack up his bags and he would go find another church but this pastor is is in it for the long haul the fact that he's giving them this warning it means it's not too late and so we come to this third thing in the passage which is the hopeful encouragement look at at chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 Therefore, you know, in light of all of that, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. You know, he's saying with this, Let's move towards an adult understanding of the gospel. I think it's possible, um, and those of you that are in our, our members class, our inquirers class, you, we're going to go through the basics of what we believe. I think it's very possible that the items that are listed there in verses uh, 1 through 3, or 1 and 2, about repentance from dead works and of instruction about washings and so on. I think that was probably part of the curriculum of a new members class. We have evidence, historical evidence, that the early church did new members classes. They went on often for a year or more. And, and it seems to me like he's saying to them, you know, you, you've got those basic teachings, but you should be growing beyond those things. And it's not that we leave them behind, but it's that we begin to make use of them. We begin to apply those things. I think the most helpful analogy of this is how you teach a child to write. When you're teaching a child to write, you don't say to your four-year-old child, here's a pen, here's a paper, I want you to write the word encyclopedia. It's just like it sounds. You can't do that if they haven't learned the letters. So first you teach them the letters, and that's why it's so much fun when our children learn the ABCs and they learn to recognize the letters because then they can start forming words. And he's saying here, the, 
basic, the elementary doctrines of the faith, those are the starting point. But then you should start building a worldview and building a theology out of these things. But you're not doing that. You're you're still singing the ABCs and you're 40 years old. We teach the alphabet to our children, expecting them to be able to put words together. And this pastor is saying the basic truths of the Christian life ought to be being built up in your life as you work out the implications of the gospel into er every area of life. That's, that's one sign that somebody has really gotten hold of the gospel is they have a, a hunger to grow in their understanding of it. I can remember when, when our middle child, Charlie, he had been eating all that nasty, like, mushed peas and stuff that you feed babies. And then we introduced him to ice cream. And I thought he was going to punch me in the face if I didn't give him another bite. If you're a Christian, there ought to be such a hunger to move on to better stuff. cultivating taste buds for the gospel. That's how you you know you've gotten the gospel, that you you want more of it. You don't just eat for an hour on Sundays and then not eat again for a week. For the true Christian, these foundational things, we don't forget about them, we don't look at them and say, meh, We build life upon them. We spend the rest of our lives getting to understand those things better because in those things, we see the glory of the Lord Jesus. And so he says here, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Isn't it neat? He's saying there, I'm right here with you. I need to grow too. Do you realize that the best way to stunt your growth in Christ is to think you've already grown to be mature in Christ? To think you've already arrived at maturity? That, that there's nothing more to learn? And this pastor is saying, let us, I want to grow to maturity too. I want to hunger and thirst for Christ with you. And that's the hopeful encouragement that this passage brings. None of us are as mature as we should be by now in Christ. And perhaps we have squandered so much of our life seeking after this world, nibbling at the table of this world, and we may still be babes in Christ when we should be grown, when we should be teachers, and we should be feasting on steak. But it's not too late. You can still seek after him. You can repent of your lukewarmness even today. You can repent of lukewarmness and follow Christ. You know, that's what these warnings that we're going to come to in Hebrews are going to do in the life of the sincere believer. They're going to propel us into renewed obedience. We're going to find the areas of our lives that are out of accord with Scripture, and we're going to repent. To be clear, it's not heeding the warnings that cause us to be saved. If we're truly saved, then we will heed the warnings of Scripture. If you've truly been born again, then the Holy Spirit will use these warnings to prompt you to say, you know, it is time for me to grow up. It is time for me to take the Lord Jesus more seriously. You know, the false believer is not interested in that. 
the false believer, the apostate person, is going to say, you know, I don't need these warnings. I've accepted Jesus. I've made a profession of faith. I've joined the church. Yeah, but where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of it? Where's the evidence? Why are you still, by all appearances, a babe in Christ? You know, I ask that question to people sometimes, and most of the time I don't get an answer. And what happens oftentimes is that people, by their indolence, by their refusal to repent, prove themselves to not actually be believers. I want to plead with some of you this morning who perhaps have been believers or at least profess to be believers for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. But there's no fruit. Perhaps you can look back and say, but I walked an aisle at such and such an age, or I did this or I did that. Remember Matthew 7, away from me, I never knew you. Some of you have been in the church all your life and are still drinking milk. And there may be a million excuses for why, but there's probably one that most of us are not willing to consider, and that may be, am I really a Christian? Do I really know the Lord Jesus? We're going to look into that next week. But nobody in this room ever ought to presume to be a believer, especially if we are not growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to the growing believers, I want to say a couple of things, and this will be our application. First of all, if you love Jesus at all, be encouraged. And the reason I say that is some of you have very tender consciences, and you've heard what I've said, and you're going to say, you know what, I haven't, I haven't loved the Word enough, I haven't done enough teaching, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, and you're going to leave super discouraged. My question for you is, do you love Jesus at all? Because if you love the Jesus Christ of Scripture, and if you trust the Jesus Christ of Scripture with even mustard seed-sized faith, that is the Holy Spirit's work in you. Because you can't do those things apart from the Holy Spirit. So some of you, I know, are going to be discouraged as we come to these warning passages in Hebrews. But come back to this, if you have any love for Christ at all, if you have faith at all, that's the Holy Spirit's doing. You belong to Jesus. Second, please don't ruin your appetite. Don't nibble so frequently at the table of this world's fleeting pleasures that you have no appetite for the word. Yeah, how many days, how many times do you go through the day and, and you're so busy and you come to nighttime and you think, I haven't spent any time with the Lord at all? Well, certainly it can be busyness, but oftentimes it's because we're so busy nibbling on the world's morsels. It, it would be like being invited to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. There's probably a nicer steakhouse out there, but I, that tells you a lot about me. I don't know which, where it is. Um, you get invited to Ruth's Chris. You're going to eat the filet, but right before you walk out the door, you load up on marshmallows and candy so that by the time you get to the table, you have no appetite at all. The steak's there on the table, and you're simply not hungry for it because you've so filled up on the, the, the filth, the junk. 
that's where so many of us are. You know, we can watch hours of Netflix every day, but five minutes in the Word feels like eternity, doesn't it? Stop nibbling at the world's table and ruining your appetite. Now, third, make it your daily habit to feast upon Christ. If you only ate on Sundays, you would have very difficult weeks, wouldn't you? You would be significantly malnourished. So why is it that most of us are content for one hour on Sundays to to try to sustain our walk with Christ? It's not enough. The more you feast upon God's word, the more it will create a hunger in you for it. The psalmist says in Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, you can grow tired of eating certain foods every day. I can't eat tuna fish anymore because I ate it almost every day during seminary. But the Lord Jesus isn't that way. The more you feast upon Jesus, the more delicious he becomes to you. And as you do, those things that just maybe a couple years ago sounded like theological mumbo-jumbo, like the priesthood of Melchizedek, it becomes a delight to your soul. It becomes what you hunger after because it's the savor of the grace of God that is so amazing and so captivating that once you've tasted it, all you can do is want more and more and more of it. So taste and see day after day that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for your word and how it sustains us and how it nourishes us. Father, I pray that we would be a people who have moved beyond milk. Milk is good for babies. It's good for newborns. But we need to grow up. And so I pray that, that, that we would. That this, even today, would mark a transition point in our church where we would move from, from adults with sippy cups to a people hungering and thirsting for, for real meat of the word. And Father, that we pray that you would feed us till we